Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. The baseball season is winding down, but we're about to have the two biggest months of the regular season. So you're definitely going to be wanting tickets. If your team's in, con in, in contention, you might be making a decision kind of at the last minute. You know what? It's Tuesday night. Let's go ahead and go. You jump on SeatGeek. And you're going to guarantee yourself the best prices, even with that sort of uh, game day type of buying, as opposed to buying them in, in advance. And because SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets to a game or concert, that's 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 kind of how I know. I, I actually use the product here. I have the app on my phone, and it, it's great. It's taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full pr ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Now, our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do to get that $20 rebate is download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R, and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. in the bust it's wednesday august 31st i'm your host paul spore joined by eno saris eno live from at&t park how you doing <laughs> i'm doing pretty good That's i good. uh hung out a little bit with my uh my boyfriend which is uh what my wife calls zach Granke. <laughs> i knew right away when you said it uh, who, who you were referring to i figure a lot of the listeners probably did as well with arizona in town uh, to that point, I asked you who was pitching. You said Matt Moore and not Zach Greinke because you don't really care unless it's Zach Greinke. <laughs> and uh, for those wondering, it's Shelby Miller, so unsurprisingly. Has not uh, not hurt himself on the mound uh, this time. Hasn't hurt himself. That was the mound that he scraped his hand on, but has already given up two runs. And it's in the it's in the fourth. It's not the end of the world, but uh, – Certainly not. This would qualify as a good start. I was going to so. say, you know, <laughs> he could give up another two over another inning at five innings, four runs. That would be considered good for him. Meanwhile, Matt Moore, seven strikeouts through four innings and only one walk. Walks have been like the only real wart that he has with San Francisco. And the, the interesting thing about it, you know, is his first pitch strike rate is, is, is just as good. Actually, a, 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 like a half tick better than it was with uh, with Tampa Bay. And I understand that first pitch strike rate is not the only thing that goes into walks. But for a guy like Matt Moore, usually when he was struggling there, you're looking at rates of like 51%, 46%. That's what he had like when he would when he would have obscene walk rates. Well, you know, last year, 60%. This year, 62%. So what, what are some other – have you noticed anything in his San Francisco starts that has Matt Moore – 
walking guys more often? Because he's not giving up hits. So is he just not giving in and taking his chance with the next batter? Or is it maybe just a small sample altogether? Uh, I mean, that's a new pitching coach. Uh, maybe it's a little bit easier to get some first pitch strikes in the NL where uh, you're pitching to some pitchers. Yeah, so, no doubt. You know, that could that could help a little bit. Also, um, you know, uh, he has uh, in the recent starts, in the last two starts, started throwing a cutter. And one of the things that I like about that cutter is that um, the one things I like about that cutter is that I think he can command it. You know, the curve is big, the change is big, and uh, I think it's nice for him to have another fastball-type thing. Um, you know, even if it's not the best pitch in the world by itself, um, I, I think it might be good for him in terms of command. Just to have something. Yeah, Matt Moore's, I mean, he's looked, like I said, he's looked good. You see the walks, I understand, you know, someone being at least alarmed by it to say I have to look into this. 5.7 walks in 32 innings with the, uh, with the Giants before today but 5.1 hits as well. So you're looking at a whip that's actually better than it was with Tampa Bay, an ERA that is as well. The strikeouts are up. Everything's trending well except for that that walk rate, and, and the home run rate's really down too. So it could be you know something that we kind of saw with Joe Musgrove earlier this week, uh, albeit on a, a small scale with Musgrove, where leaving the zone a little bit more uh, seemed to help him, You know, not giving in, not uh, – listen, having a great walk rate is, is very beneficial – but I think there are certain times where a walk is obviously a hell of a lot better than, than, than putting something fat and letting it leave the yard. And maybe Matt Moore's experiencing a little bit of that as well because, uh, as we discussed, he and his Tampa Bay pitching brethren had a lot of home run issues and so far in San Francisco. Better park, better league has certainly helped that as well, but I think his approach might be a little bit different. So I think, uh, I think Matt Moore could finish strong. Yeah, I've been holding on to him, you know, especially in, in strikeouts per nine leagues. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's really it's really hard to get a guy that, that can uh, that can strike out guys like him. And, you know, uh, who better to bet on? I mean, I, I can't believe he's available in as many leagues as, he's, as he is. So. Especially after these these first few starts with, with, with the Giants. Again, I know the walk rate's up, but that's the and, only and, thing that's really standing out. And the Giants fans have been complaining about him, saying he's not going to help, and uh, this is a you know terrible trade. I understand you can love Matt Duffy, that's fine, uh, but Come on. I think he's I think he's first of all I think he's a really good at least a really good four or five, yep. which is something they did not have, yep. and you know under command for a while, under you know team control for a while, and a possibility of a three two. I mean he's always had that stuff, so I think he's um, going to flourish with them, and not just the yeah. rest of this year, but going forward. I've always been yeah. a Matt Moore fan. Obviously, have no major issues with what Tampa Bay does with pitchers, but I'm really excited to see what they can do in San Francisco. The park and league alone is obviously a huge boost. Let alone the fact that he's going to get better coaching. Uh, well, I shouldn't say better. I don't, I don't know for sure, but good coaching. Love Buster Posey. All that. Matt Moore looking yeah. good. We're going to talk about a lot of September-based stuff. Obviously, we got one month left. You know, it's the home stretch, man. And, and there's there's you know there's young guys to talk about maybe there's some some guys that are a little bit older but kind of kind of showing some things here I want to talk about five different pitchers for September to see if you're gambling on them but first before we get to that I gotta talk a little bit of prospect news Yuan Mankata possibly coming up for September that's kind of the rumor floating around I don't have anything concrete on it right now as of 4:13 Central Time on Wednesday. But uh, that's definitely the rumor going. He's the number one prospect in baseball as of right now. Let's just say he were to come up. Yeah. What, do you, what do you see for a playing time situation? And, and does he have to be an every league guy because he's such a great 
prospect, Rion Makata? Uh, <clears throat> you know, the is he like he's if he's going to replace Benintendi, which is I'm not sure that he is. Yeah, because uh, Benintendi went on the disabled list with uh, uh, an ankle, I believe. But Benintendi was playing pretty much every day in left field. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. Travis Shaw is the third baseman, and Moncada has been playing second and third mm-hmm. in the minor leagues. Um, and Shaw has one game in his career, three innings in left field. So that doesn't make him an easy fit there. They're not. They're not putting Hanley Ramirez back out there. Why not? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it actually reminds me of back in the day. Uh, Daniel Murphy used to play some left field, and it was pretty bad. And oh man, there was a lot of people being like, "We should put him back in the outfield," and other people being like, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> how, quickly, how quickly you forget what he did in the outfield. No more Daniel Murphy. You know, Daniel yeah. Murphy probably needs to finish his career. Maybe after another year or two in the AL because uh, his fielding's never been a been a strong suit. But anyway, I mean, uh, let me just make sure that Mankata hasn't also played left. I'm getting his reference. Do you have his reference page open? Uh, I do, but I um, also want to mention that if we don't see him here in uh, in September with the with the Red Sox, you and I specifically, hopefully a host of others of our listeners, will get a chance to see him in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, he's played. For- Second and third only. In fact, it's mostly yeah. second and just nine games at third. Yeah, that's, a, that's sort of in the last couple of weeks that he's been playing third. I mean, you know, Travis Shaw is not someone you uh, don't platoon. That's a, that was an interesting sentence structure. But in any case, um, you know, you know, you could platoon him uh, with uh, with his. Uh, let's see what his his uh, his career. Um, doesn't doesn't split. Travis Shaw also have a crazy home road split like? Obviously, yeah. I know Fenway can be good, but I, I feel like this is something that you hit on early in the season where he actually. I, yeah, I, 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 even, I don't know. I even interviewed changed. about him. I interviewed him about it, and uh, yeah, he has a reverse platoon split now. But uh, I wouldn't necessarily count on that continuing Travis Shaw. Um, but uh, yeah, he he does have the weird home road splits. Um, you know, for his career, uh, two eighty nine at home. Uh, just batting average is funny. Two eighty nine at home, two seventeen on the road. Yeah. Um, but uh, but even in one's rated, one's created plus, it's a uh, he's twenty percent better than league average away from home at home, and twenty percent worse than league average at home. So that's uh, that's a pretty extreme situation. So they could do a home away thing uh, with Moncada, um, and uh, Moncada, I think, uh, yeah, he's right handed, so. Uh, you could do a righty-lefty thing, and uh, even though uh, oh, he's a switch hitter. I must have just seen him facing a lefty. Uh, but uh, you know, Moncada's a, a brick poop house, and um, <laughs> if he if he you know performs as such, uh, you know, the, I'm a little worried about the 31 percent strikeout rate this year in Double A. Um, there's there's a, a chance that he comes up even if the power uh, sticks, and I. Like, you know, referencing his athleticism, his uh, futures game performance, the, 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 the raw power that's in there, uh, he could light the league on fire and be kind of like, I would say, maybe like a Sano with some steals and middle wow. infield eligibility. That's disgusting. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's that's when you sort of uh, get dreamy about him. Sure. Um, in, in a one-month span. Down the line, he should probably have better strikeout rates. Um, than Sano. So down the line, he could be even better than that. Uh, but I'm sort of saying, you know, a good good debut for him would be that. But 
you know, I think much more likely is he's just getting a taste. Uh, he plays away from home some, maybe. I don't know, though. Do you really want to debut like a young, you know, 21-year-old and be like, uh, you're our away-from-home third baseman? Yeah, it, it's kind of a weird setup. <laughs> Feet to the fire. Likelihood that it gets right. called up in the first place. What do you think? Oh, I think... I think he'll be up just in because um, if he's up, he's already eligible for the postseason because if he's up, he'll be replacing somebody on the DL, and that's okay. the Francisco Rodriguez. Yeah, the, loop. the loophole, which um, – yeah, so don't get too hung up if, if the prospects or, or the minor leaguers that for your favorite team aren't up by today, it, it can be loopholed through and, and they'll get it figured out right. in most and instances. I, yeah, and I think what – I think what they would do is they basically bring him up uh, as a lottery ticket, and if he does, you know, light the league on fire, uh, then they can include him in their postseason plans. Uh, maybe have him play some left, uh, you know, because he's hitting so well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, if not, they can always, I think, get that month of service time back next year. You know, just that's true. Uh, delay him at the beginning of the year or whatever. So because if Moncada struggles here even if it's a small sample they can say okay you know he clearly wasn't ready wasn't we gotta go get him a, a, yeah, yeah a month of triple a and um you know the fall league's often finishing school for for a prospect doesn't mean that they won't get some minor league that following year but it definitely means that they're very close if not already getting a little bit of taste so you know be interesting to follow you Mankata at the very least uh, hopefully he's still there in the fall league when you and I get there, so we can have some some <laughs> looks at him. But I think most likely, and I'm, I'm interested to see if you agree with this, but most likely is he's just a part time player and he doesn't uh, he doesn't really factor in most leagues. because yeah, everyone will go gonna... nuts for yeah. him though. But I, I agree with you. I, I just don't see it. it's so hard in September too. He would have to Moncada has to go ham right out of the gate if he gets any sort of yeah. like Bregman start. Not happening. Like they're, they're just they're they're they cannot quote unquote waste. I don't want to say waste because you know they're they're good plate appearances to get him experience, but they can't afford to just say, hey, we're gonna let you labor through forty plate appearances here. They're they're right. in a fight. They're in a big fight, to, and they need that division because they don't want to get stuck in a situation with the wild card. Of course, nobody does, but I think with their pitch, yeah, they're game and a half they back. This is just. You know, a couple of pinch hit appearances, a couple, you know, rest Pedroia, rest Shaw. And if he hits a home run in those ones, maybe they happen a little bit more. But um, yeah, it's not a fair standard because it's such a small sample. But he basically has to hit like 600 in those first 15 plate appearances or something. And then they'll say, OK, we'll find you more time. So that that's kind of where it is with Moncada. I understand people going after him, putting him on in a lottery ticket situation the same way that the Red Sox are, but you need to keep your expectations low or you're likely to be disappointed. Let's right. shift over to the Astros. I mentioned Bregman. We'll get to him in a moment. But Ulyaski Guriel, uh, excuse me, uh, is hitting early. You know, He's been the opposite of Bregman. Now, this is this is the thing that that Moncada would have to do, come up and kind of do exactly what, what Guriel's been able to do. He's, he's raking the ball as third-base DH. Now he's going to play left field today, so – it's that same sort of setup. Obviously, a different sort of player here. He's a prospect in that he's new to the majors, but he's a 32-year-old established Cuban stud. Uh, is Guriel again? 18 plate appearance or 18 at bats, 20 plate appearances. Got seven hits. We haven't seen any any real power with it or anything yet. It's just it's a quick sample that's looked good. Have you gotten a chance to see Guriel uh, on the field and or in game play at all? Because it's been mostly DH. Have you gotten to see him at all with the uh, with the Astros yet? 
I've seen a little bit. Uh, it's nice to see all the contact. Uh, saw him nearly strain his hamstring, uh, but uh, you know he, he was just legging out. Uh, I think a single or something, and just looked a little like, uh oh. Uh, but um, you know, I, I think that uh, for a, a spry young 32 year old, he's doing pretty good. One thing that that strikes me is that I wonder if they've got different sort of hitting instruction in Cuba. Um, I just wanted to, you know, because we're seeing this, it's early, of course, but we're seeing a lot of ground balls out of Guriel. So I created a little uh, custom list on Fangraphs uh, of the Cuban players, the Cuban position players that have come over recently. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just wanted to see what their ground ball rate is, uh, you know, 47% uh, ground ball rate, which is not, you know, significantly, uh, you know, it's not amazingly worse than the league average, sure. uh, but it is enough where you're like, well, that's that's above. I mean, you know, league average is like 44. So, uh, and then if you if you that's just the the grouping as a, as a bunch of guys. But if you look at, you know, the individuals, you know, if you kind of take Cespedes out of there, uh, it, it it really changes. Um, and then everybody's you know much closer to 50. I mean, there's Cespedes and Soler, and then. I mean, I'm thinking of like Tomas uh, Guriel being in that sort of Tomas um, uh, uh, Rosny Castillo, uh, Hector Oliveira grouping, Jose Abreu, where those guys, you know, hit 47, 48 percent ground balls. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what that means for his power long term. I mean, Jose Abreu managed to turn that into, you know, great power one year and and you know not in another year. It's it's a good way to to have a decent batting average, uh, but it's not necessarily the best way to hit a lot of home runs. Cespedes had to change that about himself uh, gradually uh, and gradually, of course, too. So, um, you know, and, and Gurriel is much older than Cespedes, so you wouldn't you wouldn't expect him to sort of make uh, sweeping you know, changes. Yeah, and sort of add add uh, fly balls as he as he goes on. I mean, um, you know, Cespedes was like a one to one guy. Uh, when he first came up, and he's gradually added more fly balls. So, um, I don't know. I I, uh, I think the Guriel is interesting, uh, but in the end, probably just a little bit, you know, less interesting than um, than he might have first appeared. Because I think okay. he's probably still, you know, like a high contact ground ball, uh, you know, maybe league average power, you know, 260, 270 hitting uh, corner infielder. He's available in a lot of leagues, Guriel is. Um, shallow leagues for sure. Obviously not AL only. I think you got to take a chance there, of course. Right. In those shallow leagues, you taking, you taking a shot? Uh, you know, 10, 12 team? Uh, what situation are you taking a shot? Let's, put, let's frame it that way. What situations are you saying, yeah, i got to do it? If you have the obvious spot or you're cutting some, some flotsam at the back end to try to take a, a chance on that he spikes, or, or where are you with Guriel in the shallower leagues? Uh, well, let's see what uh, Yahoo eligibility is, and let's play the real life. Would you rather? What's going on here? So he's a third baseman in uh, in Yahoo. Okay. Um, and let me go. I'm gonna go to my 11 team league uh, to get an idea of a shallower waiver wire for uh, third base. And uh, in that 11 team league. Uh, we don't have corner infielders, I don't think. Um, uh, so this is pretty shallow. I mean, I, this almost plays like a 10-teamer. 
And the guys that are available uh, at third are Prado, Suarez, Michael Franco, Ryan Schimpf, uh, Javier Baez, who I pointed out uh, is yeah. is going up against uh, poor poor um, teams that defend the the run poorly. Yeah, got a chance uh, to get some, get some steals. They could get some steals there. So I just don't think he, he factors in there. I mean, uh, Michael Franco, uh, he's going to hit more home runs, and it, they you know are they going to be much different at you know 250, 260? Who knows? Uh, Suarez, same deal. Just you know you can bank a lot more home runs and more speed. Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd go with both over Gurriel. Like, it's a name, and so I think that that's where people get interested because they know the name and they know it's supposed to be an impact sort of situation That when, when the Astros got him. But I'm just not sure that, you know, the the idea of a month of volatility aside where anything could kind of happen, we, we, we understand that coming in. If you're making the projections, I don't see an avenue where I feel great about Gurriel over any of the guys you named. All right, so let me let me bring it down a notch. He's at 19% owned in Yahoo, uh, so he'd be more likely. You'd be more likely to be choosing between Young um, Gervis Solarte, uh, Ryan Schimpf, uh, Johnny Peralta, uh, Jerickson Profar. Maybe Peralta. You know, Pro, maybe Profar. 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 The nice thing is you can play him everywhere, but he hasn't been playing that well. Yeah. Uh, he's not playing as regularly as some. Um, you know, Trevor Plouffe is there. He's he's okay. You know, there's these guys are so unexciting that I might take a jump. Ryan Schimpf is the only one where I'm saying, well, I, I would stick an, with that power. Yeah, he's an old rookie, so I don't know what it means. You know, going forward, I'd say probably some some serious regression from him next year. But um, you know, he's he's a fully formed man. You know, I mean, Gurriel is too, but he hasn't seen this league as much. Um, yeah, I think I'd take Shimp over Guriel, but that's that's sort of. I think I might take Guriel over a lot of the other guys, over Solarte and Laurie, um, and um, Johnny Peralta and stuff like that. I I take Guriel there. Okay, uh, let, let, let's jump on uh, discussing Bregman a little bit because speaking of jumping, folks were jumping off the bridge early with him. It was it was really bad, but it was again the small sample that we talked about. Now it got to that dangerous, you know. Using over over his phrase like the tipping point where, okay, now you're like one for thirty eight or whatever the heck it is. This could get into a situation where you're really in your head, and and it could really it could really snowball. He ended up yeah he was two for thirty eight to start, and you're like uh oh, you don't want this to become a mental thing that just builds and builds and builds. Well then he had a, a three head game against Texas, and that seemed to be a springboard and maybe happenstance, uh, co- coincidence, regression, whatever you want to say. He's been crushing it since then. His last 23 games, Alex Bregman, 316, 364, 561 with five homers, 20 ribbies, 20 runs scored. Those are full season paces of 36 homers and then 141 on the ribbies and runs. Obviously, you don't extrapolate 101 plate, plate, 107 plate appearances as a full season, but that just gives you an idea of how much he's raking right now. I'm not going to ask you what's changed because I feel like he was just kind of getting acclimated to the league and, you know, maybe a little bit of a run-cold situation, nerves, pressing, whatever. But he's dominating now. Can we expect uh, – how much should we expect a dominant September from Bregman? He's a much different player than I expected, and I don't know if it's a little bit of sort of body body style, body um, uh, body look, body bias. fascism, body bias on my part. I mean, he's he's only six foot oh, 
180. He's not a big guy. Do you see Pedroia? Like, I, I know a lot of people said that, too. I'm not, I'm not unique there. But I came to that independently, too, when I first saw him uh, in some minor league clips. He had that Pedroia look. Right, and I think that, you know, we, we're too quick to say those guys don't have power. Mookie Betts, you know, comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I kind of was like, oh, he's going to be, you know, like 15 home runs, uh, you know, 300 hitter. And you can actually sort of look at his minor league stats and still see that in your head, right? You, you see Absolutely. the good contact rates. Um, you see the good batting average, and you say, well, power, um, you know, who knows what kind of parks he's in, that sort of deal. Um, but, uh, looking at his ground ball fly ball mix now, he, you know, he's got, uh, you know, he, it's not two fly balls per ground ball, but it's not far from that. Uh, so he has a real sort of uppercut ish power type swing. Um, and then, um, if you look at his, he's got a really fun exit velocity page where, you know, the first, uh, the first two weeks he was, uh, very subpar. Uh, the third week he was average and then, and then up, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And this this week he's averaging 98 miles an hour on balls in play, which uh, is just silliness. That'll that'll come back down probably. But uh, you know, two straight weeks over average, actually three straight weeks over average, and the last one was 94. So um, you know, like I say, 95 is that that um, that magic number where it almost doesn't matter um, what uh, where you hit it, what your launch angle is. And, you know, another nice thing about looking at his heat maps is he can deal with pitches inside and outside. Uh, looks like he's got that sort of uppercut swing because he's not really good at pitches on the outer part of the plate, um, on the outside. He's got a, uh, 39, 39, 22 pull center oppo since that Texas series started when he's really been raking Alex Bregman does with a 42% fly ball rate. 33% line drive rate, which will obviously come down uh, as he smooths out. But I, I, I could see a, a, a strong September from him, like not necessarily continuing at this kind of pace, but over the over a full month instead of over just 23 games, another five homers with another, you know, upward near 20 ribbies. I, I, I could see a repeat yeah, of that yeah. just in a little bit more time. It's a good, it's a good lineup, good home park. Uh, and you know what? I'm – I was saying in my own long-winded, uh, usual way, uh, that I think I'll take the over on those power projections. Um, none of the power projections have him for hitting much more than league average power. He's already done that to date. Uh, he was whooping the ball in the minor leagues. And this just all screams adjustment, swing adjustment. I wouldn't be surprised if I talked to him. Um, you know, I talked to Ryan Healy, who had a power outburst. And you know, I think he's a decent pickup in a lot of leagues. Um, more, maybe a little bit deeper. He doesn't have the same pedigree as a Bregman, but Ryan Healy for the athletics uh, told me, you know, yeah, I looked around and realized that nobody else was hitting down on the ball. So I started to, you know, uh, try to get my bat to the swing plane and, and, and kind of get a little bit more of, a, of an upward lift on my, on my plane. So I, would, I, couldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if Bregman has a story like that in him uh, because I see a power explosion uh, that's backed up by his ground ball fly ball mix right now. So um, he shouldn't be on your wi- on your wires anymore. No, 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 no. September nineteenth through twenty first, Houston's out in Oakland. I expect you to get to the bottom of that story and figure <laughs> out exactly what's going on with Alex Bregman. Okay, yeah. just make it happen. Just, just I'll do. And talk to just Joe Musgrove. Yes, please. And Joe Musgrove. <laughs> I know you've written extensively about him and talked about him already, but just talk to him again. Just say Paul says what's up. Uh, all right. It's really interesting. I got to talk to you again. 
right, you know, now we're going to talk a few September gambles uh, focused on the pitching side, some rookies, some post-hype prospects, some guys who are basically just written off as fifth starters and pretty much pitching like that for most of their career, but kind of turned around a little bit. So we'll get to – that's Tom Kohler. We'll get to him last. Let's start with Chad Cool out in Pittsburgh. He's been throwing the ball all right uh, here and there. Not really an acclaimed prospect. Definitely if you're not a, a Pittsburgh fan or a big-time prospect maven, you're certainly not – in on 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 Chad Cool coming into the year, not a huge strikeout guy, but put up a three has put up a three seventy ERA in forty nine and two thirds innings with the club. Anything to look at here, um, and even NL only, let alone mixed league viability for Chad Cool. I think in NL only, maybe you've got um, some potential there for innings eating. He has good command, um, decent sinker, I guess. And I know Jeff Zimmerman. Well, just relax on the overpraise, okay? <laughs> like, you don't want to set the bar so high with your excitement, okay? Relax. Bring it back. Well, I, I was trying to be nice. I, I wouldn't be this nice, but uh, Jeff Zimmerman, you know, said there was some stuff that he liked there. Uh, I don't know. For me, you know, I just don't see a standout pitch. Yeah. And you know, he, yeah, there's the. It supposedly has a four seam and a sinker, but the movements and velocities are very much similar, pretty much the same. So when you say that his change is straight and doesn't, you know, have much uh, horizontal movement compared to those uh, two, you can't say, well, you compare it with his four seam. Well, no, it's still straight compared to his four seam because I think he really pretty much throws a sinker change slider. Um, the the drop is okay. Uh, but he doesn't have the velocity gap. So I think there's two kinds of change-ups. The easiest way to think of it is there's two kinds of change-ups that can be good. One is uh, has a ton of movement, and it's the Granky Felix one. And on that one, it almost doesn't matter what uh, the velocity is. Mm-hmm. You know, that one just has a ton of movement, and they, they throw it with good arm speed, and it doesn't matter what it looks You know, that'll get, that'll get with some grounders. And the other one is the Marco Estrada uh, Tyler Clifford change, which looks like straight and kind of boring by movement numbers, but has a large velocity gap. And I think that one's the one that like, oh, this looks exactly like a fastball and it's not even close in miles per hour. So I can't, I can't even, you know, make weak contact. I just miss that thing. So yeah, you flail or, or, or top it. And there's not a great velocity gap. Cool. For cool. Yeah. Cool's, cool's average velocity gap, below average movement, uh, just sort of blah, change. And, that and the reason I say all that is because he's only thrown 76, but the results have been bad on the change too. Just you know, okay grounders, but um, you know, not not enough whiffs. You know, the slider is probably the, like maybe it is a, a you know an elite type pitch. I mean, it's an 86 miles an hour is okay movement. You know, number for slider, and um, it, it has gotten them to almost league average swing strike rate, but not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, there's nothing that stands out for me for him. I don't know how he's done what he's done. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't put him uh, high on my list of actors. Perhaps PNC Park and small samples are how. But uh, another guy I want to talk about, Andrew Triggs, also doesn't really throw too too hard. Sits kind of 90, 91 uh, for the most part from the right side, but has three pitches, three different velocity bands, and really good numbers. Like his skills were were great in the minors as well. Which is interesting. He could be one of those guys that's just – I haven't really checked it. Let me see if he was uh, above his age because he's 27. So we're talking about a 27-year-old rookie here, not really a, a, a prospect post-hype or otherwise. And, yeah, he was always ahead of the class 
uh, in terms of his minor league stops, which, which certainly aided him to a 9.0 strikeout per nine and 2.0 walks per nine. He's basically he's matched those in the majors, though, so you got to give him a little bit of credit for that. College guy out of USC, drafted three times, the only moved from the 24th to the 21st to the 19th round, but slowly improved his draft stock. He's labored in the minors for six years, up now, pitching well. How much do we believe in it with a uh, 23% strikeout rate? Six percent walk rate for Andrew Triggs of Oakland. I think I'm I'm kind of into him actually. I've got this him in a lot of deeper Eno days. guy. I cannot. His uh, name yeah. should be Eno. Eno Triggs. <laughs> like. I mean, you know, you could see why he didn't really get a chance because he definitely uh, looks like a gimmick pitcher, like a Brad Ziegler, weird arm slot. You know, not going to. Uh, get you, uh, you know, not going to be able to get lefties out, for example. That's a, that's a thing that happens uh, when you throw from that arm slot. People say, well, you can't, uh, you know, that's really great righty on righty, but then the lefties will see that ball all day. Mm-hmm. If you think about release points, you see, you see that ball, you know, way out there. If you're a lefty, you just like you can see that all day. The, <clears throat> the thing that's a little bit different about him is that he's, he's throwing to change more um, as a starter. And um, so, you know, the, all the numbers on it are, are really low. But as a starter, uh, he's averaged, you know, maybe like 7 to 10 a game. Um, and that's a, that's a significant thing, especially since he's slider cutter otherwise. Um, you know, he, he does need that changeup. And so, the, you know, the real question is whether or not he has it. But in terms of movement, uh, it's, it's pretty bendy. Uh, and I know his sinker is, is bendy too, um, but uh, you know I, I have to think there's something here. And at the very least, you know, first time through the league kind of stuff, yeah. where people are just like, "What is this?" Um, so I'm into it. I think um, I think we could see we could see some really good starts out of him. I think he's a deep league. Uh, you know, every starter type guy tried to get him with my last dollar in labor. Okay. Um, and, and did oh, I get him? Would you, oh, I forget. Did you, but, uh, did you spot him in any mixers because Triggs has had some strikeout success? Yeah, definitely. At home, uh, I'd spot him in mixers, yeah. Okay. I mean, let's, uh, let's see what his uh He's going to get Boston at home tomorrow. Yeah. yeah then yeah, Seattle. There you then go. it looks like out to Casey, which is still a good park. And I'll do that. That's his home. That's the yeah, organization I drafted him to. So as you can see him. A little bit of revenge. Bring it up for Then yeah. home against Houston. And now I'm super speculating, but his last start's going to be on the road, either at the Angels or at Seattle, though. So I really feel comfortable with either of those. Oh, and that sounds like late in the season. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like could be a real nice guy to have uh, if you're loading up for starts on a, you know, you know, we talk about sometimes this is a good strategy is some Yahoo will let you Carry when over. you go over your innings limit, yeah, you can you can go way over. Um, and I suggest if you can do that, if you're thinking about doing that, to not do it on the very last day. Um, and to, to do your do your blowout two or three days in advance because the very last day is when uh, some real jabronis show up. Uh, not not to disparage everybody who starts the last game of the season. They're still pro baseball players and I love them so but sometimes you'll see guys who are relievers. They'll be reliever days. Oh, yeah. Crazy uh, stuff happens. Minor leaguers. You know, nobody knows these guys. So uh, I would instead do it, um, you know, earlier that week. And if you can aim for that, you can, you can still get your, 
you know, 30 inning day where you get five, six, seven starts in uh, and just do a blowout. But maybe Triggs is on that list for you. So um, I definitely, and, and especially since the, it sounds like some nice parks will be playing each other late in the season with the A's and uh, Angels matching up late in the season. That's that's definitely um, some uh, something I'd look at. So absolutely. So we we, we like Triggs. You know, I, I was. That Houston start at home is the hardest one for me to figure out. Um, I may want to get more information about how his changeup is doing in the meantime. You mean the Boston uh, one or, or Houston? No, no. I wouldn't do Boston just because Boston's a jerk. Yeah, flat but. no on Boston. Also facing Price, so stealing yeah, a W is going to be tough with Oakland. But Houston, Houston, depending on who they're you know, up against and how he's been doing, I don't know. Okay. Sort of iffy. I wish the schedule was a little bit better, but uh, I, I still like him. But we like most of the starts for Andrew Triggs the rest of the way in a lot of different league formats. So definitely take a look at him. You know, I, uh, I I've been I've been making Mike Fultonevich, you know, prove it to me all season. I'm not saying that he's proven it yet, but he's proven enough that I I feel worth talking about him. I think we've briefly mentioned him previously. But he's continued to pitch pretty well. He had, a, he had a bad start to open the month, five earned against Pittsburgh. But then pretty much uh, solid starts. I don't want to say quality because quality start is actually is an actual thing. So he's been a little bit worse than, than quality starts a couple different times uh, the rest of the month. But in the other five starts of August for uh, fulton Evich, 30 and a third innings of a 3.56 ERA, 27 strikeouts, eight walks. That's the, that's the thing that really jumps out. He used to walk eight per inning. I, you go look it up, guys. Eight per inning. That was his walk rate. It was it was a really rough walk rate. It was like a 48 per nine or so, something. But no, I'm obviously kidding about that. But he was a walk, not not always in the majors, but in the minors. He really had trouble commanding it. And even in the majors when uh, his walk rates were kind of blah, you know, like three, four, and three, he probably should have been walking more guys because he was giving up tons of homers and hits. It's almost like maybe you should, even with your, your sketchy control, try to get swings outside of the zone because when it's in the zone they're timing you up but as a dude who can bring it at 100 i still feel like as a 27 year old three years down the line he's going to be a stud closer but it look is he making some strides as a starter here for mike fulton in his in his longest season yet 102 and two-thirds innings yeah uh i think you know the relevant graph on him uh is the rolling uh zone percentage graph um you can really see that about uh, 20 games into his career, he just really upped the zone uh, percentage. That was uh, in 2015, but um, he's, he's followed that a little bit this year where early on in the season, uh, the zone percentage was down, and then he's back up again uh, to where he was uh, at his best uh, in, in, his, in his previous years of his career. So I, I think that uh, zone percentage is a big deal for him, and that basically just means confidence. It means that he's just throwing – uh, his stuff as hard as he can through the through, you know, through the middle of the zone. Really, mm-hmm. um, the one thing I, you know, that bothers me a little bit is that the swing strike rate is still not very high, yeah. um, and the strikeout rate is still not very high. So for the, uh, for the stuff when it's on, you can still see a, a Mike Fultonevich inning or so where you're like, holy crap! That's why I still think right. he'd be the stud closer uh, that that a lot of people projected him to be, you know, initially, right. but. It, it doesn't get as much uh, as many positive results, swing and miss wise, as you would expect with 95 on the heater up to uh, 96. Even like I said, pushing triple digits when he's really on uh, to the slider, which can be really filthy too. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Just 9.8 percent swing strike rate—that's pretty bland for what he has. 
Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a, a yeah. I mean, yeah, 9% whiff rate on a fastball that averages 95. Um, let me, I gotta turn this out. I, I think he's probably got a low spin rate, um, low spin rate, uh, uh, four seamer. You know. Since you brought up spin what? rate, we did just recently talk about this guy, I think actually our last episode. But I got to bring up Seth Lugo again because I think in the time that we've talked, he's had two solid starts. Uh, actually, yeah, one inning shy of a, of a true quality start against the Cardinals. He went five scoreless, but then six innings, two runs his last time out just yesterday against Miami. And then a uh, former colleague of ours, Mike Petriello, and a former guest of this show, uh, pointed out, did a piece where he has the best – curveball spin rate in StatCast history, trumping one Garrett Richards. So I think you mentioned that that he did have really good spin, but uh, e- even giving him that praise, we might have undersold it because it's now... Well, we did say that Miami start was a good yeah, one. Absolutely. I, I definitely absolutely. spot started that in all my leagues yeah, we, and uh, you listened got up, that W. You got that Seth Lugo start. What about the rest of the month? Or, 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 or uh, this entire month. The rest of this month would be about like 12 hours, but... Uh, Give me, give me some schedule. Uh, okay, let me let me get you. Well, here's one thing we know as I'm pulling it up. It's going to be a lot of divisional. So I think um, – I don't know if you and I talked about this last time out. I might have I talked about it with somebody else. But, you know, most of the schedules are divisional. So the guys that are pitching in those weaker divisions, you really want, you really want to go for. Looks like uh, his next start is going to be against Washington at home on Sunday, Sunday night baseball. Then at Atlanta, home to Minnesota – now I'm now I'm guessing. Uh, looks like going to be home to Philly, and then on the road either at Miami or at Philly to end the season. Give me give me all of those. I'm so in on Seth Lugo for the rest I of the season. I want to eat. I will eat every one of those stars. His real name is Jacob. Why did he change it? Uh, well, that's I don't know. I'm calling it maybe Jake Lugo, man. That sounds way cooler Jake. than Seth Lugo. Seth Lugo actually does sound like the kind of pitcher that he is, like a mid-rotation, <laughs> solid. <laughs> you got Seth on the mound tonight. A Seth little Lugo's, bit boring. Yeah, but Jake Lugo, that's a badass right there, okay? And he's pitching like Jake Lugo right now. I think at the worst, though, you're going to get Seth Lugo, which is like a mid-3s ERA. I think that's kind of like, for the, rest of the, for, the, for the rest of this season, I'm talking. Not necessarily going forward. Great schedule lineup. He's pitching we just well. offended all of our listeners' names, Seth. Seth's and Jake's. Jake's are fist-pumping. Seth's have unsubscribed. I'm sorry, Seth. <laughs> We're all sorry, Seth. Very sorry. Uh, so I, I found, um, for full DNH, I found that uh, I've got, I can't, I can't talk about it too much because it's Jeff Zimmerman's thing. I don't know when it's coming out. But he's got a really cool chart that relates spin rate and velocity uh, to swing strike rate on the four-seam fastball. And uh, so I found where Fultonavich would be uh, based on his uh, spin rate. And he's at like 2380. Uh, and if you look at 2300, you get 8.7% swing strikes. I just really blew up Jeff. I'm just totally at everything he's doing. Anyway, hopefully, hopefully it all works out and you see it soon. But if you go to 2400, uh, you get 10%. And. Um, and his spin rate, uh, in his his thing is like nine point seven. So it's it's pretty good predictor of him. Uh, but I, I just wanted to say that I get a real sort of uh, 
a Nadia Valdi vibe off That's him. Fulty that we're, we shifted back to. I, I was talking Lugo while you were yeah. looking that up. We shifted back to Fulty. That's way yeah, too good a of a comparison, uh, and it's heartbreaking for those that were getting excited about Fultonevich. I'm going to hit you with another one. You know, one of my favorite things about podcasting with you, besides literally everything, is that um, I can hit you with names out of nowhere that are not on the list, and you've always got something. This one helps that it's on your favorite <laughs> team as well. The other uh, rookie that they brought up, Robert Gesellman. <laughs> Jake DeGrom lookalike with the hair. You know, you, you, you do right. a quick look. You're like, oh, DeGrom's pitching. No, no. It's, 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 it's Robert Gesellman. However, I'm not sure he's quite Jake DeGrom quality, which is no fault of his own. That's a pretty high standard to live up to. Is he worth anything in September knowing that it's going to be the, the, the same kind of schedule for him, assuming he even stays in the lineup, right? Because Steven Matz could take that spot, but he just got – pushed back yet again uh matt's did so yeah. what about gasselman is, is anything lugo-ish there is he more seth lugo jake lugo or or, or off the board terrible name lugo i don't want to i don't want to offend anybody by saying an, another name that i think is stupid i don't think seth <laughs> or jake is a stupid name by the way i'm saying uh, yeah, i don't yeah, want to yeah, make up a name lugo and say that that means he's terrible just tell me how good robert gasselman is please <laughs> he needs a vowel, dude. Right. Um, and once again, now we've offended all of our vowel-needing <laughs> listeners. Um, so uh, I think the weirdest thing about him is that he um, he uses his sinker for whips. It looks like um, it just his sinker gets twice the whips of his four seam, and neither one of them gets ground balls. It's a very strange uh, situation there. I don't know what's going on there. I mean, he throws a. Fastball, well, five if you go fastball, four-seam sinker, slider, change. I have a feeling the change is no good. It's 7%. Yeah, it doesn't seem to really trust it. It doesn't get great results. Or six, seven miles per hour split, which is blah. Worse movement than a sinker. I like like 94, 95 from the right side with 88 mile per hour. Yeah. 81 mile per hour. And honestly, curve cutter could work. You know, it's just that there's a big drop from, you know, 88 down to the curve at 80. But um, the curve looks legit. Are you sitting in Um, an ice machine? (laughs) I'm sitting right next to to the free soda for the writers. I, I, I was like, I guess you're. At... This I thought would be less. No, no, it's, it's fine. I just wasn't sure if we were recording from a Seven Eleven, and there, everyone's getting <laughs> drinks. Uh, I, I figured I'd address it because I know we're going to get comments. On I it. think I, I just put him a, a, a drop below Lugo because Lugo has the curve is a standout yes. pitch, and he, he actually, uh, yeah, he admitted uh, on the Statcast podcast um, that he had to actually put away the curve in Vegas. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> That's exactly what we said. We said that you know he might have had to do that. Uh, so if you watch the curve now, what the thing that's nice about these spin rate curves, I think, is he doesn't have to pop it out of his hand. It doesn't go up and then down. It kind of goes straight and then down. So it's like, you know, very hard I think to pick up. Uh, and when I when I would describe his curve to somebody, I would say it has late movement, which weird for a curve, but. You know, it looks kind of straightish for a while, and then it just drops off the, the off once the air. You, once so, you see it, your your uh, explanation of it really fits. It, it, it's right. it's a devastator, and it, it's yeah. So he has a elite standout pitch. Uh, his velocity was a little up and down. Lugo's was because you know, in terms of being stretched, I'm not sure. Uh, you know how ready he was to to pitch this year. I mean, it looked like 
the Mets had everybody they needed, you know. Um, uh, that's pitching's pitching stuff. Yeah. But they um, never have too much like that. It's a cliche for a reason. It could not be more. Yeah. I would I would take Lugo uh, over Giselman, but I think Giselman in like 18, 20 teams. If you're looking to, to get some innings, I think uh, you know it's not a terrible place to look. I mean, like we said, that that schedule is awesome. I put Giselle in my lineup in a mixed league before I would put Giselle Min in my lineup, though. Just saying. <laughs> just saying. All right, let's talk Luke Weaver. We saw him in the uh, in the fall league. I, I was pretty impressed. I didn't think he would necessarily make it up this year until right about now, though. I thought more of a September call up, if anything. You know, three starts in August might as well. It's essentially a, a September call up, but obviously not quite. He could he could pitch for them in the uh, in the playoffs if they needed him to. It's been up up and down results wise, but I like that he's getting uh, swings and misses in the majors. He's had to go into into Wrigley, but then he got uh, he got to go to Philly and host the Athletics. So his last two starts certainly much easier uh, on him than going into the Cubs for his first start. Luke Weaver rest away. How much interest do you have there? And I'll pull up his schedule while you kind of break down uh, what Luke Weaver has. Yeah, uh, you know, he's a standout change uh, forcing guy. We liked uh, his forcing command, which I think is a good place to start uh, when you're, you know, when we, when we watch in the AFL, we like his forcing command. I think it's a great place to start. Uh, it's going to always mean that you're going to be a little bit better than your projections, a little bit better than some of your stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I like that about him. I think, I think that the command is real. Um, it also is going to make help you make the most of a, of a lower swing strike rate. So if you look at that 8% swing strike rate and you say, I don't know about that strikeout rate, I would say, you know, maybe he can do it. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe eight, eight strikeouts per nine is possible even with a lower swing strike rate. Um, because he's got a great fastball. It's, it's, it's a one-game situation yeah. with Luke Weaver, but we only have three to go off of. But to your point, his lowest of the season was against Oakland, 3%, and he got seven punch-outs in six innings. So it's an yeah, extreme yeah, example of the start, but it time those, get some called strikes on the you know, use the four seam uh, when they're thinking change, you know, get a called strike. There, there's definitely uh, some stuff he can do, uh, and I love the change up. Uh, I love the, I think the fastball is good too. Uh, the only you know real question I have with him uh, is that you know that next pitch, and he's he's tried the slider and the curve and the cutter. He has not gotten a single whip on 31 curves, which is really, you know, his third uh, pitch, uh, which is weird to me. That suggests to me that somehow people are spotting him, that it's either popping up out of his hand or they can see fingers somehow. Um, you know, it's not like uh, I'm actually right now asking uh, players uh, what they can see when the pitcher releases the ball. Um, and there haven't been a lot of guys who say they can see fingers, but a lot of guys have said they can see the ball pop up uh, on some people for curveballs. So, um, you know, maybe it's that. Um, you know, so in case... Uh, Let me hit you with a schedule. Uh, Pitches yeah. today against, uh, at Milwaukee. Not really going to be able to do any action yeah, on that. Even even if I put post this as soon as we're done, that game will, will pretty much have started. So let's talk uh, September at Pittsburgh, home to... Milwaukee at San Francisco, maybe get a chance to talk to him. Unfortunately, at Colorado, uh, but then finishes up home, Cincy, Pittsburgh. I like those uh, Pittsburgh and Giants ones. Uh, I really, the, the, the lows are bad, though. I don't, you know, Milwaukee isn't like a slugging team, bad. but, you know, like 
at Milwaukee, and I just, I, you know, I, that's sort of the line for me. I don't know. Uh, Cincy and Milwaukee, I think, are, are, you know, starts where I'd have to think about it. I'd rather he did, you know, at home, Cin- I, I could take home. that. But I'd, I'd be dropping him in between, you know. I'd be dropping him for the Colorado start. I'd be dropping him uh, for, for other starts. So I think he's really just a touch-and-go. Uh, try to get him for that giant start. Try to get him for... Um, you know, Pittsburgh at home, I think, is a good start that for him. He won uh, uh, at home late in September, and it's the last week of the yeah. season. You could see a pretty comical lineup there, too. So keep uh, an eye on that. Oh, that's right, dude. Time to rest Joey. No, perhaps, right? And we're just saying it could yeah. be a situation. Maybe not. Votto seems like a guy who's going to play out the string no matter what. But Because he's hitting 400. He's out like, of his mind. The best, player, plus, yeah. best player in the league since June 1st. I mean, yeah. don't don't ever doubt Votto. You know this podcast. Somebody asked me, one of, his, one of the beat writers asked me um, what he would have to hit to get back to his career averages um, this, the rest of this year. Uh, so I did, the, I did the math for him. And, you know, it sounded like a kind of a big deal. I was like, oh, you'll have to hit like 345 with like a 420 OBP um, and something else. And uh, we kind of looked at it, and he's like, yeah, I think he, he might be able to do that. I think he even put it in a piece, maybe, Zach Meisel. And, uh, and I don't know exactly uh, what happened with that, but uh, he, he, he went past that. Is 690, is that above the level that you said? Is that better? <laughs> is that better? Good, you know what? If I told you, if I came into the year and I, you wrote this down, you said, here's the thing about Joey Votto. He's – Greatest person in the world, greatest Canadian that we have. Uh, best pants <laughs> wearer from Canada too. Best American is uh, Verlander, and he's going to outdo his second half from last year, which was three sixty two, five thirty five, six seventeen. The other two, the first two, you just said, yeah, I totally agree. But the se- the third one, you just said I was crazy if I'd said that he's going to outdo that three sixty two, five thirty five, six seventeen, and he has because he's unbelievable. I'm I'm blown away by Joey Votto, and I was a little bit nervous. Like, yeah. not that he was gonna be bad. I was actually still scooping him up. I got him in two different leagues in May, just on principle of the fact that I knew he couldn't be this bad. But I certainly didn't well, expect I mean, him to be Barry Bonds for the second half. Right. The difficult the whole thing for me is that he says he says to me, "Oh yeah, like I don't always find my swing until May," and then he's he's had a, a few seasons where it's been kind of iffy in the first couple months. Uh, and then you, you know, he's 32. So there is, or, you know, 33 almost, uh, there is that moment where you're like, you know, when do we start Never. worrying that he doesn't get Don't back you, together? God, you know, I swear to, I've kicked you off this podcast before. <laughs> He will never break down. He will earn full value of that deal. All, no, I'm kidding, obviously. And it'll be heartbreaking when he is a little bit of a pedestrian. But he's gonna have a. I think he's going to have a very smooth decline as long as hell. Jesus, health. look at that. His career OBP is 424. That's the yeah, – it's, it's nice. italicized on baseball reference, which I mean – which I believe means that he leads MLB. Uh, yeah. 424. I think, <laughs> that I think that's what it means when it's uh, italicized like that. Let me actually. The career. 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 career on base. Oh, maybe it's active leader. Maybe it's active. Uh, In fact, it is. Okay. You're right. That did sound a little bit crazy to think that 424 was the best in history. Do you want to guess? You can probably guess the player who has it, but do you want to guess what it is? 
best uh, best uh, career ever. I was gonna say uh, Bonds, it's, it's but uh, it's not Bonds, so it's the other guy that you would have guessed. Well, uh, the other one would have been oh. Babe Ruth, but actually, yeah, Ted Williams, I guess, huh? Three guys, then I get. I'm obviously yeah. cheating now. But, <laughs> But no one would guess number three. Right? John McGraw? Four, four. Four, Billy Hamilton? Not that Billy Hamilton. Was also a spencer, right? He has a 100 steel season on his uh, legend, if not more. But 482 yeah. for Ted Williams. John McGraw stuck out 3% of the time. That, that probably helps him a little bit. 3%? <laughs> that is so absurd. That's... Baseball has been very different at different points. I, I, like, yeah, 1899 was, like, one of his best seasons. But, hey, y'all, that's, uh, that's actually going to be the end of the episode because, wait for it, I know this one's going to shock you, but I had recording issues. And I know it's become a problem with, with the show, to be quite honest, uh, on my end especially. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's so frustrating. You know, I used to use call graphs. It worked perfectly with with Skype. Now it doesn't. Skype, I think, is really the big issue. Uh, now I use something called Free Video Call Recorder for Skype. Peeling the curtain back a little bit, there were three calls. Well, actually, only two made it. And if you probably noticed that Eno's quality got worse at, at a point. That was the second call. No settings changed. Nothing different. And the only reason I'm explaining this to y'all, first off, is to give you some transparency in case you're wondering what the heck's going on, but also in case that anyone can maybe help because I'm at the end of my rope here, mentally speaking, with dealing with this. But um, third call, he was echoey to an unlistenable level, the same way that Jason's entire, um, the, the large part of, uh, we actually had two calls with Jason. The very first call, which was the overwhelming majority of the show, was that echoey, unlistenable type of, uh, of recording. No, Again, no settings changed, nothing, just recalling. And that's the most frustrating thing. If there were settings to change, if there were things to be done, I'd get it figured out. But I'm doing the same things that are producing great calls or at least very listenable calls. And then, okay, Skype exploded because it's the worst program ever. Get it all back up and running, call them again and we're back on uh, on a bad call. So I don't really know. If anyone has suggestions on how to best record a Skype call for podcast editing, I'm all ears at this point at Twitter, uh, on Twitter at Sporer, um, or, or yeah, just, just hit me up there and we can take it to DM or, or get on email there. I, I apologize. It, it's embarrassing to me. It's frustrating to me, professionally speaking. Never had issues recording the show. That's the one. Like that's the one thing. Second, I started podcasting. I, I learned from Kevin Goldstein of the Up and In podcast. Told me call graphs and Skype audacity. Boom, boom, boom. Never had any issues. Well, then Skype updates. Call graphs doesn't work with it. Well, I figured a workaround. I just will go to the back end version, the older version of Skype, and click the Do Not Update. The program updates itself, guys. I know that sounds crazy. I guarantee you it updates itself even if you have that turned off don't know why um but i, I genuinely hate skype at this point anyway i'm rambling i apologize the back end of the episode here was tom kohler uh we don't like him we're not buying the the uh, 
modicum of success that he's having. The schedule, despite being in a good division for it, doesn't break down very friendly for him. We also jumped in a little bit on Eno's piece, which is the, the unfortunate part of losing that part of the audio. Was uh, he, he talked nicely about uh, his new piece regarding steal, stolen bases and kind of incrementally finding some based on the tandems that they're running against. Uh, and Tom Kohler was a jump-off point for that because of the, the, the stolen base capability that he, that he allows. And then we finished it talking about first pitch Arizona and the Arizona Fall League, which was probably just kind of another advertisement for it that you've heard Jason and I do. And these are not paid advertisements or anything like that. We just are obsessed with that event. It's a great event. If you can make it out there, I mean, we'll probably talk about it another couple times in September just to kind of let folks know. It's so much fun. If you're a fantasy baseball honk the way we are, you, you, you can't beat it. Getting getting that dose of baseball in November to kind of keep you keep you warm for the for the disgusting winter. Anyway, I'll get I'll get this handled. I apologize to you guys. You know, there's no episode Sunday because of recording. You guys had issues uh, listening to the ones with Paul, and that that really stunk. I know some of it was on his end, but then also this recorder, I'm sure played a role in it now that i'm finding out that it has issues with Eno and jason guys i've never had issues recording with so you know we also were a little bit hamstrung today because um Eno was at the stadium so it wasn't as as open environment to kind of take time and, and figure everything out because uh i think i'm going to try this thing called zencaster which is what carson's been using for the main page podcast i'm going to try that on friday with Eno. but anyway just bear with us i appreciate you guys uh, listening and, and, and being patient when episodes don't come out because of recording and all that sort of stuff. And again, if you have suggestions, hit me up on Twitter at Spore for call recorders that you have. I really don't have issues with any other end of the podcast. Like I know uh, some people thought uh, don't really like audacity or whatever. I got no problems with that. Editing the podcast, not a problem. Getting a clean, cleanly recorded call at this point has proven way too difficult. Anyway, We'll be back Friday. Have a good one.